When you learn to code, like, when I was 10 years old, I just figured it was you go into a basement and you're like, you're typing, you're coding. That is like how you code, right? And then you go to college and you get a job and you're like, oh, this is literally all about teamwork and teams and not about you at all. And most of the hard problems in software engineering are to do with how to organize people, how do you make progress as a team, how do you break up big tasks, big goal. We want to solve some hard problem. How do you break into smaller tasks and give it to people and have them run on schedule and doing like software engineering really is a team sport. Like it just matters so much how you collaborate, how people feel, how you move forward. It's so funny. There's so much psychology in just getting things done. So as an example, like someone may be saying they don't think this is the right solution. Is that because it isn't right? Or is that because they had an idea in their head for how to do it that was different? So there's all these things you have to kind of learn about people to get the actual product built. Welcome to Latinx in Power, a podcast hosted by Thaisa Fernandes. Welcome to Latinx in Power. I have received an invitation from my friends at Microsoft to attend the Microsoft Build event. So I'm thrilled to share that today I'm here in Seattle and we have the incredible opportunity to engage in a conversation with David Poller. David is a passionate software engineer who loves diving into new things and cracking out line of codes. He's making waves as a distinguished engineer at Microsoft leading the pack with his exceptional skills. David holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Computer Science from the Florida Institute of Technology. Hi, David. Hey, great to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited. In this episode, David will take us on a journey through his career. He'll dive into the crucial role of collaborating and teamwork in software engineering, while also providing valuable insights into the future of the industry. Prepare to be inspired as you gain a deeper understanding of David's career path and discover key skills for software engineers. As I speak, we are recording in this exclusive podcast episode right here at the Microsoft Build event venue. We aim to offer an independent perspective with our unique insights. It's crucial to note that the opinions expressed through this episode belong to myself and David and do not necessarily represent the official position of Microsoft. And David, one hey. of my favorite questions, we talked a little bit about that before we started recording. Do you consider yourself a Latino? I do not. But it's funny, growing up like in the Caribbean in general, that region is, is Latin America, right? So growing up in a mostly English place, but having a lot of Spanish programming was always like weird to me. Because I never really understood why, you know, that part of the Caribbean was considered Latin America, why it was even considered like to be Spanish, why Spanish was a big deal in, in that part of the world. But I always grew up like having kind of these like two things being, I guess, around me. And I never really gave it a thought to figure, you know, why do we talk about Latinos being from the Caribbean when, you know, some of the islands in that space are not considered Spanish speaking? But it's a huge deal, I think. Um, it's a lot of integration, a lot of um, crossover. I remember growing up, we had HBO Ole. I remember when we first got HBO, I was like, why is it in Spanish? <laughs> Oh, because the region is like mostly Spanish, so it made sense, but yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. This season I have been enjoying learning the perspective <laughs> of other folks who are 
technically part of Latin America, but yep. don't consider themselves as Latinos. Yep. And it's so interesting, right? Because Latin America is huge. It's huge. It's huge. Yep. And like speaking about myself, I'm not a Spanish speaking person. Like my first language is Portuguese. Yep. So it's, it's very confusing, right? And sometimes like when I say, oh, I'm a Latina, people start to speaking with me in Spanish. I was like, oh, my Spanish <laughs> is really bad. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because um, my dad runs a computer company in Barbados. And he's one of the Dell retailers in, in the Caribbean. And he works with the Dell Latin American people. And like, there's a lot of people that are Spanish. And it's like the region that, as a whole is considered Latin America. So that a super important thing that I learned growing up was that, you know, that region is Latin America. And Spanish was a big language. And I think from my point of view, if you said you're a Latino or if you're from Latin America, like people assumed you spoke Spanish like immediately. That was the main thing, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And this is main distinction when you say that someone is Hispanic. Yeah. For example, for me, <laughs> that comes from Brazil. Technically, I'm not Hispanic because my country was colonized by the Portuguese. My language is Portuguese, so yep. it's not Spanish. So I didn't get like the Spanish culture, but technically I'm like La Latina. So yep. yeah, it's very interesting. And in this episode, I want to learn more about your journey in software engineering. And can you share with us more about how was this process for you and how you got into Microsoft? Yeah, that's a fun story. I spoke at a college in Barbados recently about this. It's pretty fun talking about my story, thinking about how I started just coding in general. When I was growing up 30 plus years ago, I remember I used to love playing games on computers. My dad had access to computers like really early in Barbados. So I would come home and play games after school, play games on the weekends, these like super old DOS games. And that passion kind of led into wanting to make games. So I had been playing games, playing Nintendo, playing Super Nintendo. And then like around age 10, 11, I remember we had the internet really early. And I went on there and I was like, okay, how do I make a game? Because I knew how to play games, but how do I make my own game? And I remember trying to learn how to search online and find how to code. And like I was learning QBasic with my first language. I learned QBasic just by trying to draw this face on screen. And I remember the moment I got this face moving around in a circle on the screen. That was when it was like, oh my gosh, this is a thing that I want to do for my job. That's when I knew. 10 years old, I was like, okay, my career is going to be this thing. And that passion kind of led into just like doing it more and more. And it's funny, thinking back, I remember spending long hours in front of the computer and my parents worrying, like, is he going to go outside? But I actually played a lot of sports too. Like, but I really, really got into the zone of was like, I just loved coding. And I think my parents knew like I was gonna try to end up doing software, but they didn't really understand how. Because in Barbados in the Caribbean, like you, the jobs aren't plentiful, right? You're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an accountant, you work in a bank. So how do you become a software engineer when you're from this small island? What are your steps? So I, I kind of just fumbled my way through. Like in my head, I was like software engineering, computer science, math. I have to be good at math and good at IT and good at programming. So I chose math and physics and IT to like spend time on. And I got a partial scholarship to, to University of Miami and Florida Tech. And then from there, it was, you know, I think my, my passion kind of just drove me to like keep working on stuff, keep working on side projects. I had built this application for my dad's company actually to manage his repairs. I had a customer, I had been building a, a website for him that he used for his company. So I felt like I had the experience of building software for a customer and like giving it to them and I'm making fixes. And that was the thing I, I really wanted to do. So I get to college, I chose computer engineering. And the very first class I sat in and they were showing chips and circuits and I was like, I want to code. So I changed majors immediately <laughs> to computer science. And that was where I fell in love with like what I was doing at school. 
from there, I met a couple of friends. My first year of college, we started making a game together. So like he had made games before, like Tetris and stuff in his free time when he was a like, teenager. And I was like, hey, like you make games. I want to make a game. Let's get together and make a game. So we started making this game, like first year of college. We were coding from before. So like the first programming class for me, I felt like was intro class. It wasn't too hard to understand that class. And we had made this game. And I heard this thing about the career fair. There's, there's a career fair every year at the college. And these big companies come and they take your data and, and they want to know if, if like you can interview and pass an interview at these companies. I didn't really know what the interviews were. I didn't really understand like what the process was, but I knew I wanted to get a job at a big company, Microsoft, for example. So we have been making this game and remember going to the career fair, everyone had a resume and I had brought my resume and my computer because my computer had this game we built. So we go into the career fair and we walk around and show all these companies this game. We're like resumes here, which everyone else had, but then no one had a demo. We had this demo running. We had a man walking around on, on a 3D map and it had like graphics and we, we built everything from scratch. Like we didn't even know what we were doing, but we got this thing working out of sheer passion and brute force. And we showed the Microsoft booth and we got interviews. Like, I don't want to say immediately, but I think the thing I learned there was kind of going above and beyond what everyone was doing. Like, how do you impress? How do you show your unique value? Because there's a sea of resumes at the school. And like, what differentiates you from someone else? Is it your GPA? Is it like your grade? Is it your side projects? We had a, an actual demo of a game that we built from scratch and learned all this stuff. And I think being able to describe like in a passionate way, like what we did, what we learned, kind of had the recruiters going, oh, these kids are like, they're passionate what they work on. Like, that got me the interview and I interviewed, which was super insane because I hadn't, I wasn't prepared for the interview. I wasn't prepared for what they were going to ask me. I hadn't taken any of the core classes. I was just like kind of like going through it on share like force and what I learned. And then eventually I flew to Redmond and interviewed and then I got my internship. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. You started like liking to playing video games to like, oh, I want to build my own yep. game and thinking, oh, what are the skills I need in order to work in tech and work with game? And I love that because I feel that maybe for some people, it doesn't come naturally thinking, oh, what are the skills I need? I need to learn computer science. I need to be really good at math. I need to have my resume <laughs> in a demo, right? We learned that. So yeah. that's incredible. Incredible. I learned that I wanted to work in tech only very later in life. I feel that if it was today, I would definitely study CS. And I feel that now things are totally different, right? I feel oh, that yeah. kids are learning how like to code very, very early. Maybe the parents are encouraging that you should do CS. <laughs> Me and my kids. I bought my kids all these things to code when they were like three <laughs> and four. And I'm like, okay, you're five now. Now you got to be coding. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> let's, build some, let's build some games. <laughs> oh, my God. I have a friend. He was like reading to her daughter like books about computer science, oh, engineering. <laughs> <laughs> Bedtime <algorithm>. stories. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I went to my daughter's school like last week and I give a presentation about my job. And I was like at home, I put slides for kindergartners. They were five years old. And I built this like amazing slide deck. And on like the fifth slide, I had Let's Code. On code.org, they have this dancing tutorial, right? And the kids went crazy. Like they were like having so much fun. You can put dancers on canvas and have it dance to Encanto music. They lost it. They were like, oh my God, I want to be a software engineer. I want to be a software engineer. I'm like, okay, good. I did my job. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> As a distinguished engineer, what does a typical day look like? Maybe you can start telling us 
the role of a yeah. distinguished engineer. What is that? I think yeah. it means I have like a little bit of gray hair. It's funny. Distinguished engineer is an interesting title at the company. It means a vice president level, but for an engineer. So I have no reports. I am not a boss. One of my daughter's friends asked me, are you a boss? I said, I don't have any reports. I don't have any people that report to me. But at these big tech companies, you can be a very high level software engineer and not have any reports. It's a really unique role you can be in. It's like a very technical role. I don't have to like manage people, et cetera. And what it really is, is an acknowledgement of kind of like your work, what you've done over the past, for me, 15 years, what I've worked on. I had a really like fun chances to work on V1 products. Like I got to create the package manager for .NET, which is like looking back when we were doing it, we didn't know the impact it would have, but it was this huge, this huge thing that we built. And then on top of that, I built this thing that was a side project called SignalR that is used today. Today, if you open an Office document and you see multiple cursors in the document, that uses SignalR to build that tech. And like, I remember building it and going, this is a really cool product and then seeing it be put into like Office and stuff. Like that was like a big, holy wow like, moment for me. And then getting the chance to work on and building, rebuild.NET Core from scratch, like into what it is today. So I got chances to kind of work on these big V1 products and then seeing that success over time, I think is what helped me go in my career and get promoted. And that this title is an acknowledgement of kind of like your success, what you've worked on, there's only like, I want to say less than a hundred in the company. Yeah. So it's a big deal. That's incredible. Yeah. Kind of nuts. Still pinch myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's incredible. And in this podcast, we are all about sharing, sharing journeys, yeah. sharing insights. And I feel that we tend to talk a lot yeah. about the technical expertise, the technical skills. So I guess we are all know what is needed, right? And a lot of folks who listen to us, they want to change their career in tech or they want to change in between tech. So I'm curious to hear from you. What are some key skills or qualities that makes a great software engineer, Whoa. apart from the technical expertise? I love this question. Oh, grit is, I spoke to my son about grit and just software engineering. So I, I was preparing for my talks this week at Build and I have been working on demos. And I told one, one of my engineering peers, I said, I have to do this one more thing and it should take me half an hour, but I'll be in bed in two hours. Cause like, there's always something and you kind of have to have the giving up is a thing that can happen easily. If you don't have the grit to kind of like work through problems, cause people think, okay, I'm an engineer, like I'm distinguished, like I can solve any problem in five minutes. I will never run into issues like a normal dev does. And, well, guess what? <laughs> Life happens. <laughs> I got stuck on a paging issue because I had a plus one and it should have been like something like plus two or something like that. And I was like, that's a normal thing that engineers run into every day, right? And I think what differentiates the good ones from the ones that can maybe are the great ones are the ones that like go the extra mile to go like learn why and what and when you can kind of conceptualize problems. Because in this space, what ends up happening is you solve individual problems, but like they're patterns. So you kind of zoom out and you go, okay, I've done a thing like this before and it's not the same thing, but it's like this. Can you take concepts from other things and apply them to new things? And I think that is one of the things that you end up seeing in engineers that kind of grow faster. So I think grit, being able to zoom out and look at bigger pictures helps a lot. I think I've heard the term systems engineering, where, yeah, you learn how to build this web page. You learn how to put things together. Do you understand the big parts of what you did, how it runs, what the parts are? I think going from just kind of like smacking out code to the next stage requires some introspection and understanding of what it is you're doing, right? I have this really bad trait that I enjoy, which is whenever I'm learning a new thing, I kind of like will follow a tutorial 
And then I will just like stare at the code and I have to kind of understand everything I copy and pasted before I move on. Because it'll bug me when I hit issues and I can't figure out why the thing is there. Like, why is this line here? Why do I have to call this? And I'm super stubborn. So I'll be like, erase it and it will break. And I'll be like, oh. <laughs> why did it break? Well, because you erased it. Why is there in the first place? <laughs> so I think that like being able to be persistent and like tenacious and just have the grit to kind of like want to understand the hunger for learning why the why I think is a big thing. Incredible. Great. Yeah. And another thing that I wanted to talk more, it's that I feel that is very important and we don't get to talk a lot. So it's collaboration and Ooh. teamwork. So can you talk more about the importance of collaboration and teamwork in software engineering? Oh, my favorite topic is very, very um, recent for me too. So like when you learn to code like when I was 10 years old, I just figured it was you go into a basement and you're like, you're typing, you're coding. That is like how you code, right? And then you go to college and you get a job and you're like, oh, this is literally all about teamwork and teams and not about you at all. And most of the hard problems in software engineering are to do with how to organize people. How do you make progress as a team? How do you break up big tasks, big goal? We want to solve some hard problem, how do you break into smaller tasks and give it to people and have them run on schedule and doing like software engineering really is a team sport. Like it just matters so much how you collaborate, how people feel, how you move forward. It's so funny. There's so much psychology in just getting things done. So as an example, like someone may be saying they don't think this is the right solution. Is that because it isn't right? Or is that because they had an idea in their head for how to do it that was different? So there's all these things you have to kind of learn about people to get the actual product built. I honestly find that super interesting because for me, like the psychological part of thinking about how to organize teams and people and how do we go from point A to point B to build this bigger picture? How do you get everyone on board? All right, so a big part of my job is making sure everyone understands what we're trying to build. Everyone is working on a small piece, but how do you zoom out and like, how do they see, okay, I am building a car. One team is working on the wheel, one team is working on, on the hood, but that picture, this is what we're trying to build team. Like we're all working on this big thing and it's not one person, it's all of us. And we all have our parts to do. And like, this is a big vision, right? So I think every engineer at some point will ask, how do I grow like further on? And the answer always is your people skills end up mattering way more than technical skills. Like you can't type any faster. You have maxed out how fast you can type. You cannot code any harder. You have to get others to kind of like code as a team to build more things. There's no way to scale yourself to be the best coder in the world. Now you're like amazing. Yeah, right, yeah. you can't type any faster. <laughs> I love that. That's why I tell all the, my mentees, I'm like, typing harder will not get you promoted. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And as a software engineer, you are working with complex problems. And a lot of times we think that were never done before. And in your example, if you're talking with another engineer, they say to you, oh, this is not possible. We can't do this, right? And in their mind, they are thinking about like the whys yep. and you need to be able to talk with this person in a way that they will explain their whys. Exactly. Because a lot of the times they are saying no. Yes. <laughs> it's the most fun part of my job. And as say. a program manager, <laughs> I get that. That's your core job. That's my core job. No, like, like no. why? Like why? <laughs> but I can't can't say why, right? I need to make you guys like explain to me. 100%. I super understand. I, I had a discussion with an engineer like two weeks ago and they were saying that this thing is super hard to do. And then like after a lot of research, a lot of understanding, a lot of like discussions back and forth, it became evident that it wasn't impossible. It would just take a while and they didn't think that they had the support to even work on it. But you know what? It wasn't going to be just them. Yeah. It's going to be them and five more engineers. And now like, did it change your idea of like, is it possible? 
or not. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And um, as you were saying, I'm thinking about my world, <laughs> like program <laughs> management, having this context about the business side of things and understanding. Oh, maybe this thing that is impossible is going to take a lot of time. Is going to help us to move the needle. It's very important to the business. So we might gather more resources, or we might have more time, right? Exactly. And you might not know about that. So context. that's so so interesting. We are here at the Microsoft Build, and we are all talking about AI, which is very, very exciting. So it I want to get your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the future of software engineering? Do you have any predictions, any insights to share with us today? I do. So I've been thinking about this for a while. Five years ago, one of my peers asked me, you know, could we build an app by giving a simple textual description to something like maybe programming in the future is like giving English text. And I said, like, I don't see how that's possible because there's so many small decisions that have to be made from a single ambiguous prompt. And the key thing that was missing was being able to iterate. So seeing ChatGPT, seeing Copilot, seeing a model where I can like not just start with a prompt, but like keep the context and keep talking and add a conversation. That was a kind of a whoa, game changing moment. And I think software engineering is going to fundamentally change. I don't know how long it will take. I, people are slow to move. How do you so, feel about that? I saw that you, you said worried. that you like coding. I love coding. <laughs> and like, at first I was like, oh, you know, it's good, but it's not that good. And then like months later, Copilot is even better. And I'm like, hmm, it's still a Copilot. It's still helping me do my job. So I use Copilot like a lot now. And the funny thing is currently I am treating it like a tool. So like any tool, like there's ways to use it and you learn how to like prompt to make it do the right things and I think that is making me so much more productive like I'm a fan a huge fan what I don't know what I'm worried about is when does it stop being a co-pilot is it ever going to be like fully autopilot like are, are we going to create a situation where humans don't understand what is being spit out right like right now it works really well because the human is still there and we like I'm an expert so I understand what's being spit out what happens when the bar is raised for junior developers? Is that going to affect getting into tech in the first place? So I worry about stuff like that. Like, and I know people always say things like, you know, people will find new things to do. Like, that's for sure. That's not going to happen. But I do wonder how it will shift some of that work. Like, what kind of work will junior engineers now get? Like, is the bar like raised really high? It's funny. People ask me on Twitter, like, hey, I'm a software engineer in college doing CS and I'm seeing all this AI stuff. She like pivot majors. I don't know. It's too early to tell. But I do know that this thing will keep getting better at a really fast pace. So prepare yourselves for big changes because we're in that moment and no one can predict the future. But it does feel like we're currently in a big moment right now. I love that. I think the first thing, sometimes I feel that people try to predict the future. There's no point in doing that, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> I agree. And also, for those who are listening to us who doesn't know what is Copilot, can you share? Yeah. yeah. So Copilot is this coding assistant that is in Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio that you can basically prompt it with comments today. So you can say, like, write me a, a function that can add two numbers or create the average of a, of a list. And it will spit out the code for you directly in line in your IDE. And first, it feels like a gimmick. You're like, OK, I could have gone to Stack Overflow or somewhere and searched on Google. But it kind of automates and short circuits all those steps. And the moment you keep using it, it really gets to understand your code base. And it really starts to be really smart. At first, scary smart. The first time I used it, I was like, uh, oh, <laughs> I didn't have to type all this stuff. <laughs> kind of scary, but great as well. 
and you begin to learn how to prompt to kind of like do what you want to do. And it's supposed to take some of the mundane parts of coding out of coding. So like every one of us at some point during coding feels like, oh, I know what I want to do. I have an idea. I want to get it working, but there's so much code I have to write. Like, can you give me a start so I can tweak it? And Copilot is amazing at that. It's not even always correct. Today I was on stage typing and it put the wrong thing, but it auto-completed like a paragraph. And I was like, okay, I can just change these two lines. All good. So it, it really feels like a almost a 5x, 10x boost in productivity when you learn to use it to your advantage. And it's gonna start being there in more places. So like we showed this um, demo of Copilot X, which is coming to GitHub, where it can generate pull request comments. It can do code reviews. So some of that is scary because it's like, no, I do code reviews. I, I like doing that stuff. But I kind of feel like we're gonna see some of the things that sometimes feel mundane, like small changes that it can just detect and just like do things now. Like things that you would imagine, but you didn't know how to do it. Like, could we automatically detect X, Y, and Z and then have it add a comment? Like, how would you code that? Well, <laughs> now we can do it. Like, it's there. So, yeah. Incredible. Hearing you saying it makes me think when you said, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to be for junior engineers. Maybe something that you said as well is trying to understand your code. Yeah. Not just like using it or maybe like understanding like everything is going to help you use Copilot better or, you know, evolve yep. in your career. So maybe it's one insight. I don't know. I hope so. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the features that I think we showed recently was you can paste a piece of code into ChatGPT or Bing search and say, what does this do? And ask it if there are any bugs, etc. I think having the depth or the understanding to know if the responses are good is a big challenge with AI that everyone's trying to figure out. Like, how do you trust the AI? Because it's not like a factual engine. It can just reason about like language, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to pair it with like tools or give it access to more things to make it like do stuff, right? So when you say like, is my code good? Is it working? Is like, and it gives you a response. What I've seen personally trying to use it, sometimes it's wrong. And I wonder about people knowing if it's wrong or not. If you treat what it says like the truth and not like a starting point, you could end up in places where like maybe you're copying and pasting the wrong thing. But to be fair, that happens today anyway when you copy and paste the wrong answer from Stockholm. Yeah. I'm like, is it really different? Maybe it's the same. <laughs> or even ChatGPT, like this critical thinking, it's very... Yeah, like, mm, doesn't do that pretty well yet, but it, it can kind of reason about syntax and it understands how to call things from English mm -hmm. text. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. And this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast as well. I feel we have a lot of resources and it can be overwhelming with the amount yeah. of resources we have, especially now. So I'm curious to hear from you, which resource helped you in your journey that you wanted to share with us today? I am like the anti-book person. I don't read any books at all on like programming and stuff. I mostly listen to podcasts. I watch a ton of YouTube videos. My pattern for like consuming new information comes like YouTube. It's YouTube videos. I watch a lot of talks, presentations. I will read a, t a lot of blog posts. I'll read like tutorials. I'll read papers sometimes, academic papers. But I don't know if I have any off the top of my head resources for learning like to code. For example, code.org is pretty good. If your kids are coding, code.org is pretty cool. Scratch is an amazing language that you can teach your kids with. 
make code is also a scratch-like language that we kind of built for new software engineers that is also great. Those are in my head because I did this last week for my kids. And I guess more recently, I've been trying to use Bing Search and ChatGPT to do the work of searching for me and narrowing down the scope of what to look for. Because like, I'm so used to searching on Bing or Google and like finding results and then going through results and trying to narrow down my search something very specific. But now I've been trying to figure out, can AI actually make it easy for me to kind of like ask a question that I want to answer? How do I do X and, and Y? And then go do a search and figure out what is good for me. I'm hoping and maybe AI will change the landscape of how we learn too, right? Because I want to sit down and read an entire book before I get started. One of the most jarring things I learned when we hired this intern from MIT. And he told me that he would never sit down on YouTube and watch an hour long video. And I was like, is this an age difference? Is this like a generational gap thing? I don't understand. He was, he was like, I need, I go onto YouTube and I search for a task and the video has to be less than 10 minutes. Less than 10 minutes? Less than 10 minutes. So interesting. It needs to be like, show me what I have to do. Show me the code. He was using YouTube, like how I use Google to find, to learn something. And I thought to myself, wow, that is like so different to how I would ever think about That's even so trying to go out to learn to do stuff. Yeah. yeah. I need to confess that I have a hard time committing to one hour podcast yeah. episodes. Yeah. If I don't know the podcast. Oh. Because one hour is a lot of time. It is. Right? And sometimes they're not that great. <laughs> so it's kind of hard. So I can't kind of relate yeah, to that, but I read a lot of books, so I love oh, books. Good. Good, good, good. <laughs> so yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but those are great tips, David. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot. You have a great energy. That's incredible. So I'm going to leave the last minutes for you to share anything you want to share and also where people can find you. Awesome. You can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn or Blue Sky. I'm on there too. I'm on all the networks. <laughs> and Grit. Coding is great. Don't worry about AI. It's going to come. But learn to code is still good for our brain. So mm -hmm. learn to code. Anyone can code. Awesome. Yep. Thank cool. you. Awesome. Thanks a lot.